Hello, everyone. Welcome to Danger on Delmarva. My name is Rhonda Jefferson, and I'll be your host today as we travel along the winding and sometimes treacherous paths that make up Delmarva. And in today's episode, even the world. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. And today we're going to look at a case, though, while the victim is from and rooted in Delaware, her story leads us to Africa and eventually ends in Florida. While we know what happens to her, there are still millions of people around the world that are affected by these types of crimes. Today we'll be talking about an internet scam and a New York Times journalist who formed a bond with the victim which touched him deeply and led him to where her scammers were and to write a poignant and surprising article to try to warn others of the scams that are perpetrated across Facebook and other social media around the world. Before I begin, I do want to give everybody some warnings. There will be some topics that are discussed today that may be sensitive, an attempted suicide and domestic violence. Also, while I did use a few different sources, a lot of the information came from research done by Jack Nikas from the New York Times and the interviews that he conducted with Renee Holland one of the many victims across the world affected by these internet scams. All of my sources will be linked in the description, as well as I will add some links regarding what to look out for for scams and resources. If you or someone you know may be a victim of domestic violence or may be contemplating self-harm. With all this being said, let's get into today's story. Have you heard of the term stolen valor? If you haven't, it's when a person takes on the role of a military veteran to reap benefits, either financially or through recognition and awards. They like to boast of tales of their heroism, lauding people with tales of action and drama that you normally wouldn't find anywhere but in the covers of a romance or war novel or even a movie. I recently heard about a case that happened here in Delaware, and while it doesn't fall strictly under the title of Stolen Valor, I think in a lot of ways this whole scam, not only pertaining to this particular case, does fall into those realms as well. It's where people pretend to be service members online, also in attempts to gain financially usually, using real life service members, names, information, pictures, and the scammers start to regale their victims with stories about their life in combat and their life overseas, using that information that they are in the military to gain trust, and in a lot of ways to make the person that they are scamming either feel sorry for them or feel beholden to them. So again, while it's not strictly stolen valor by the traditional meaning, 
again, I really do think it falls into this category because it does also affect the service member. In cases of these internet scams, military members' information is used, whether it be their name, demographics, and usually pictures that they've stolen from social media to help gain the trust of those potential victims. So that means through one internet scam, just one person talking to another person affects far more than just those two individuals. When these scams take place, the scammers never meet the person that they gained financially from. They never meet the person whose identity they stole. The victims never meet each other. And as we'll see in today's case, their lives and likenesses will ever be entwined in a story that ended in tragedy that no one could have ever imagined. Renee Holland lived in Delaware with her husband and she had been thinking about meeting the service member that she'd been talking to on Facebook. They had exchanged countless messages and she looked forward to the day that they would actually be meeting each other. Renee was a sweet woman and according to the New York Times article, Many of her friends and family considered her both trusting and impulsive. So these are two categories that scammers see as a perfect target. Renee was originally from the East Coast, being born in Philadelphia. However, she'd lived in different parts of the country as diverse as Arizona and Missouri. She worked a number of different jobs that were just as eclectic, being a gardener, and a worker at an auto shop. Maybe Renee's good nature and trust sometimes led her to make less than sensible decisions. She may have been a tad bit too impetuous. One day, she did see a man on the side of the road walking named Mark Holland. She pulled over and offered him a ride. The rest, as they say, was history. History now, but as time moved forward to them becoming husband and wife, they had yet to face one of the biggest challenges of not only their lives, but one that millions of people have faced over the last decades as the internet has become more and more diverse and accessible, offering people the opportunity to talk to virtually anybody connected to a device. And by virtually, I mean that both literally and figuratively. In 2001, as Renee's mother began to age, she moved back to Delaware to take care of her. Delaware and Philadelphia are pretty close, um, though it doesn't mention exactly where she was living in Delaware. It did say that she had to drive two hours to Philadelphia at one point. So I would put it more towards the middle to southern part of the state. Unfortunately, her mother did pass away in 2016, and as many people do when they're confronted with a devastating loss, she felt lost herself and was becoming depressed. She had more free time on her hands as she didn't have to take care of her mother anymore, but that also left her with a great sense of loss. 
Renee's sister was often seen with her smartphone in hand, looking at social media, especially Facebook. So in order to help pass the time, Renee got a smartphone and soon had her own Facebook account. And remember, this is 2016, so not really a long time ago. While she was scrolling through one night, she got this random message. She may have been surprised at first, as this was someone that she had absolutely no idea who they were. The picture showed a muscular and fit tattooed service member. She didn't know the person, but she did decide to read the message, and she replied. Remember, Renee was described as being very trusting and impetuous. The person who sent the message said his name was Michael Chris and that he was stationed in Iraq and worked on disarming bombs, one of the most intense and focus-driven jobs anywhere. This made the man seem both dangerous and sensitive at the same time. He had to make decisions that could affect not only his, but thousands of people's lives. He had to keep a level head, but be tough, think things through, and remain calm, and exact his job in such a way that no one was hurt. And odds are, if he doesn't pick the, the right wire or do just the right thing, he would be the first one to take the impact. So this man had brains, brawn, and a beard. What more could she ask for? Renee continued the conversation, messaging back and forth through much of these evenings, becoming more and more comfortable with speaking with this hero. He would tell her things that made her feel important and vibrant again, and maybe even feel a little more needed. To quote again from that New York Times article, she said, quote, He kept telling me, you're so funny. You help me know there's someone at home I can talk to. End quote. She continued to say that she loved knowing that she was making someone feel better. After taking care of her mother for so long and losing her, she now felt needed again. Nowadays, many relationships do start online, whether it be through a dating app or meeting each other through mutual friends and talking through Facebook or any other social media that will allow instant messaging or communications back and forth. The man saying that his name was Michael, Chris, and Renee sent each other countless messages back and forth. And their feelings did start to change. But at that time, Renee, being much older than him, said that her first feelings for him were more maternal or motherly. However, he actually started calling her my wife. And we need to remember here that Renee is married to Mark, her fifth husband, that she picked up on the side of the road. It was after having these conversation for at least a few months before the man that she knew as Michael Chris began to ask her for money. He told her that he needed iTunes gift cards because he needed to add minutes to his phone. So nothing extreme, nothing huge at that point, but he would also think of many reasons that he needed money. And with one that would tug at most anybody's heart, he said he had a sick daughter named Annabelle who was living in California. 
Finally, in June of 2017, Michael Chris said he wanted to come home to the United States and was going to fly into Philadelphia from, from Iraq. He also asked for help with the airfare for a friend that was coming back as well, and she wired them $5,000. Now, Renee had never been a very wealthy woman. She and her husband had literally kept their money, what she said was their life savings, hidden in their bedroom. And that's where she got the money to send to Michael Chris so that he could buy airline tickets. Of course, he said that he would pay her back. And as her family had said at the beginning of this article, she was very trusting. I do think that's also shown in the fact that maybe this isn't applicable to his friend that he said would be coming back. But he's in the military. If he's coming home from a deployment, wouldn't he be you know, coming home on a military transport? Otherwise, why was he coming back, you know, at that particular time? So it doesn't say that she asked any of those questions. So that shows where she, she was very, very trusting. So on the day in 2017 that Renee was supposed to meet Michael Chris, she drove the approximately two hours from Delaware to the Philadelphia airport. She took along an American flag with her, so that she could be easily spotted when Chris and his friend exited the airport. Time went by and she started to get anxious. She didn't see him coming and she couldn't find his flight number on the display board. Finally, she decided to get some help from a ticket agent. The agent looked into it and let her know that not only was that flight not arriving there that day, but that flight never existed in the first place realization hit her. She'd been duped. She'd given away her and her husband's life savings. And to some people, that might not seem like a lot of money, but to her it was everything. And it didn't only represent the financial loss, but it represented a loss of trust, not only the trust that she had and gave to other people, but the trust that her husband would have expected from her, something that she could not see herself confessing to. Getting back to her car, there was just an even bigger reminder of the mess that she probably felt she'd made. She had written the words, welcome home, on the car windows. She got in the car, drove to a local shopping center, and decided there was only one thing left to do. She bought some sleeping pills and some alcohol. Though it does not say what the sleeping pills were, I would have to assume since it was over the counter that it was something like a PM medication that included medication that would make someone fall asleep faster or stay asleep through the night. By this time, Sergeant Daniel Annenson probably hated the word Facebook. He had opened his account in 2010 as he would need to travel a lot or be stationed far from home in his role with the military. Facebook would be a way for him to keep in touch with friends and family, making the world just a little bit smaller 
so that he didn't feel the distance between them quite as much. But unfortunately, because of the actions of others, he came to regret that decision. He began to come across people messaging him, telling him that they'd seen a profile with his picture. People were also emailing him, and he found messages from a lot of women in a spam folder. So people were hurt and confused, but probably not as confused as he was. People wanted to know, using today's terms, why he had ghosted them. They felt a sense of betrayal as he was slowly coming to a realization that his information was being used fraudulently. He began to understand that his picture and some of his other information had been used by a Facebook scammer. He started to research and try to find these profiles on Facebook, and he came across image after image. He would try to get them taken down, but he said that he would get one deleted, but there were more there just to take its place. There were also pages that used some form of his name, so not specifically Sergeant Daniel Annenson, but just varying things um, around a little bit. And to give some examples as far as his picture, they were used with different variations of pretty much the same name as Michael Chris. They would use names like Christian Michaels, Chris Michael, Christopher Michael, Michael Christopher, you name it. There was some type of variation of Michael Chris. The New York Times reported on the story and they came across 65 pages that used Daniel Annenson's name in some form. Over the course of time, they were able to have 24 of those taken down, but that took six months. Facebook does say that they use sophisticated technology along with humans to try to find the fake profiles and take them down. You do have to wonder, though, if just using a search of a name or different variations that the New York Times could come across and point out 65 fake profiles, why did it take six months to get those 24 taken down? Facebook didn't even need to find them. All they had to do was then take that information and research to see if they were possibly fraudulent. But according to them, they estimated at the time of this article that there were about 120 million fake accounts that were active on Facebook and that they'd also taken down billions of accounts. And a lot of the scammers do use military pictures. Kim Joyner was a deputy assistant to the Secretary of Defense. There is a department in the Secretary of Defense's office that actually oversees social media accounts of military members. So Kim Joyner's team did say that they worked with Facebook to find these fake social media accounts. And she also stated that overall that they were pleased with how Facebook was responding to these cases. However, the New York Times had 
searched for the name of three high-ranking U.S. generals. Um, the names of those generals weren't reported, probably for privacy reasons. And through Facebook and Instagram, the New York Times found 120 copycats of those generals' social media accounts. When this was shown to Joyner, Joyner said that the situation was, quote, disturbing. Also, that they didn't know why that those fake accounts hadn't been taken down yet. The numbers were described as amazing. Going back to Renee, she was staring at the fact that she'd lost money to a con man. She took the vodka and sleeping pills, but she didn't die. She was found in her car and taken to the hospital and awoke there days later. Her husband was there by her side, and she said, quote, You open your eyes, and the person you least wanted to face is sitting next to you, Mark, end quote. The man that she was afraid to tell what had happened had been sitting there with her the whole time. By this time also, Renee was the caregiver for her father, who was 82. She came home from the hospital, but found that their relationships between both her and her husband and her and her father weren't quite the same. She described them as strained. But amazingly, she found that Michael Chris actually reached out to her again. He said that he would, quote, make it up to her, end quote. You know how things go. People will apologize, say whatever they think they need to say to get back into another person's good graces, even after you've severely disappointed them. And she had tried to take her own life because of the actions of this man, this supposed Michael Chris. But he even went far beyond just apologizing to her, saying that he was going to come see Renee that he would speak with her husband and that he would promise to return the money, again, just telling her how sorry he was. But unfortunately, Renee believed him. And not just once, but twice more. She sent money for the plane trips, even using a credit card, and she did not tell her husband about this. By the time everything was said and done, with the multiple plane tickets that were never used, with money that she sent him here and there, they lost somewhere between twenty-six dollars and $30,000. Now, many of us may have seen or heard about other scams where people may have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so while the $30,000 might not compare directly to those hundreds of thousands, for many, many, many people, this is a huge life-saving sum. For a couple who were not extremely old, but were quickly approaching retirement years, this amount could have been and was devastating to lose. So just to express my thoughts here, when we look at these scams, it's not always necessarily about the amount of money that someone loses. 
It's oftentimes about the effect that that particular amount may have on an individual. If someone has a lot of money and is very wealthy, they may be able to stop and realize that they're being scammed before they've completely gone through their life savings. You know, the scammers will start usually with smaller amounts and work their ways up. So if someone does have a lot more in savings, then, you know, it may be the 10th or 12th time that someone asks them for money that it dawns on them that, okay, I've been scammed and hopefully they will stop sending money, but they still have money saved. That's not always the case, though. You have people like Renee who doesn't have a lot of money saved and she's getting older, so that money would help out in the long run. Or you may have other people, even if they do have a lot of savings, you know, even into a couple or a few hundred thousand dollars, who don't realize that it's a scam that early. And eventually they send these scammers all of that two or three hundred thousand dollars left again without any money to help support them. These scams do usually and most often affect the elderly. So without you know that person having either the ability to work or any other resources, that's greatly detrimental on anybody who loses money. I don't necessarily want to say I'm comparing someone who can afford to lose money as compared to someone who cannot, but looking at the devastating effects that it may have on people, those who lose their whole life savings, whether it be tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, see a future that is much more bleak without their savings. Renee and her husband did decide to try to get a fresh start, and they moved to Florida in 2018. I couldn't find a lot of information about Daniel, and that's probably the way he wants it after everything he's been through. I did find a couple of pieces of information, but I wasn't able to confirm that directly by another independent source, so I don't want to say anything about that without you know, substantial documentation behind that, especially after everything that he's been through. Jack Nikas, the writer who had been working on this story for the New York Times that I mentioned earlier, um, he said that Renee's case touched him the most. Renee had said that she wanted to tell her story. As many people may feel at the time, she felt ashamed, but she also didn't want anybody else to go through this if it could be helped. And that's why she opened up, even though it was probably very uncomfortable for her. She gave the interview to Jack to help raise a rareness about these types of scams. And Jack, through the process, had communicated with her for quite a bit of times. They had sent quite a high number of text messages back and forth. Before he could actually publish the story, though, Renee stopped communicating with him. This was over the holiday season in 2018 and a little bit you know, after December 25th, and he still hadn't heard from her. 
So he did decide to try to find some information about what might have been going on. So he typed her name into Google. And I think that's something most of us would do when looking for updates or trying to find out something about a person if we can't contact them in any other way. I had first heard of this on a YouTube channel, but that video, it seems, didn't have all of the most current information. So I, as a starting point, also Googled Renee's name. And when a headline came up, I had to stop and try to read it again to make sure I was looking at the right person or an article about the right person. For one thing, by that point, I hadn't seen an article that said that she moved to Florida. So my first question was, this article is in Florida. Is it the same person? Jack, though, he knew she had moved to Florida. The article hadn't been published yet, but he knew that she had moved. It was also not in the documentary that I saw that she had moved, which is why I was saying it didn't necessarily have all of the current information. But the headline that I saw, and though we don't know if it's the exact headline, that Jack would have seen whatever the headline said would have made him stop in his tracks. The headline that I saw said, St. Lucie Sheriff, Mark Holland dies after killing his wife, father-in-law, two days before Christmas. From losing her mother in 2016 to going to pick up her new friend from the Philadelphia airport in 2017 to moving to Florida to start over again in 2018. Renee had run the gamut of emotions over the past couple of years, and it probably felt like she'd lived a lifetime in just that period of time. And the husband, the man that she didn't want to face after sending the scammer their money, took her and her father's life before the end of 2018. Two days before Christmas, deputies from the St. Lucie County Sheriff's Department went to the Holland home after there were reports of gunshots. When they got there, Renee and her father, Rudolph Rehm, were already dead. Mark had also shot himself and was transported to a hospital with charges being filed against him. But he never faced the court of law as he died in the hospital as well. And this wasn't the first time that the police had dealt with Mark. On August 29th of 2018, he had been arrested for domestic violence. However, as the police did try to investigate and get a case together, Renee did not cooperate. And I have to wonder if it's because she feels, still felt that shame and regret over sending money to Mike Chris. The article from the TC Palm, um, that's the one regarding Renee and her father's death, does not mention the history that Renee had with a scammer. But remember, again, at this point in time, Jack had yet not yet published the article. And so he truly had to be taken aback that this woman that he had communicated with so much was now gone. We'll never really know for sure 
if the scam was the reason that Mark killed them. But I don't think that we can say that it wasn't because of that. You know, it had to, in my opinion, play a factor. Renee at one point had had sent her scammer some type of link. It may have been to pick up money or information about sending money. But Jack actually had that link and... I will admit I am not really sure how this reverse technology works, but Jack was actually able to track down the scammer to Nigeria. And though these types of scams have changed to some extent, no longer just using the so-called Nigerian print scam, you know, these new ones now have multiple layers upon them. There's a thriving industry in Nigeria of scanning. They're called Yahoo Boys. And amazingly enough, one of the men who worked in these scam centers, and I'm going to call it a scam center because I've seen a documentary independently of this article about a year ago, and it was like a well-oiled machine to have people working in you these scams and on the heels of finding out that a victim of this scam had later become the victim of domestic violence and murder as long with the murder of her elderly father Nikas was not afraid to go hard at these yahoo boys and amazingly enough one actually agreed to speak with him his name was Agnanola Bolaji He did then, um, Balaji did, explain some things about the scam. And it now makes you know perfect sense some of the things they look for. They recognize that somebody would probably not be able to track him down. At least not most of the people that they were targeting in these scams. But they also recognized that military members are easy to target as the person's information or picture to use as the instigator of the scam. The military members could be anywhere in the world. And if they tell you that they're overseas, if they're in another country, you have no reason to doubt them. Balaji said that, yes, he did feel guilty sometimes, but in a quote that I also find very poignant and telling of the situation that he and a lot of the people who work these scams are in, he said that the poverty will not make you feel the pain because you need the money. So there's more to these scams than just greed. Some people may envision that these scammers are living this luxurious life. They're buying big houses and fancy cars. That's Definitely not the case with many of them. Yes, you will see some scammers through other means um, who do get those lifestyles, who make a fortune out of this. But, you know, referring back to that documentary where, you know, I do not have the link to that. It's from memory. So I just want to make that clear that um, it will not be listed in my sources as, you know, I don't remember exactly the name of it. It's been, you know, about a year. 
but it was for all intents and purposes like a well-oiled machine but the people that they interviewed they weren't living in these big houses they didn't have a lot to their name and depending on the actual setup of the scam they may not even really be working for themselves there may have been someone who you know is basically supplying the computer equipment the location the connection in order to work these scams but they're not making all of the money i'm not excusing the fact that people are being defrauded but at the same time there the people who are committing these scams are not always these cold-hearted unfeeling greedy people they are sometimes in situations where they want to make sure that their families are taken care of that they're not splurging with this money they're not being extravagant they're just trying to survive as well seeing that documentary it made me realize that some people commit these scams out of what they see as necessity and while i think many of us may have empathy with that situation we may have to ask at what cost then is that scam being perpetrated and we're not talking about just the money there's shame and pain and a sense of betrayal and even a sense of loss even if you don't meet someone face to face you can sometimes form bonds that are very very strong and at that time in Renée's life where she felt alone losing a girl's first and best friend her mother she reached out to a man who had initially reached out to her he made her feel needed and though he wasn't real to her he was and when finally she realized that this was definitely a scam when she couldn't send him any more money she did not only lost that money and the trust of her family she had lost the man that she had grown to care about even though he never existed when she moved to florida i can't help but think that she may have felt this sense of relief that she was starting a new chapter getting away from the memories that were so painful and that would have haunted her in delaware but in the end whether it was because of the lost money or because of that sense of betrayal mark holland must have felt that there was no other way out he took renee and rudolph with him in an act of violence that cannot be undone now some of us may look at this story and wonder why she didn't recognize this as a scam but as she indicated earlier in the story that you know she didn't have a smartphone at the time of her mother's death in 2016 so she may not have been as familiar with some of the things that many of us see as just today's online culture now i was probably let's see it was probably around 2001 that i first saw the nigerian prince scam email um it came to me i was going through spam and i read it and thought what the heck is this reading through you know it was one of those ones that said that he was going to inherit a lot of money but somehow needed me to send him money to help secure his inheritance or something like that and my thoughts were well how did he get my email why would he reach out to a random person who 
was paying student loans back, who was living on her own, so paying all the bills, you know, by herself, who, you know, didn't have really any extra money at the end of the month. Why is this person reaching out to me? Okay, this doesn't seem right. It was one of those too good to be true deals. And so, you know, I ignored it. I deleted it and moved on. And after receiving a second one, realized, okay, this is just gonna keep happening. So I know these are scams. And eventually the number of times I got that email actually went up. And that was actually quite a bit at the time because I was maybe getting five emails a day that were legitimate. Because remember, this was 2001. So I came of age just as social media was taking off. Now, having my kids, they almost seem to recognize things inherently that are scams. It's almost like it's been ingrained in them even before they go to school, before they ever pick up a tablet or a smartphone, that these scams are out there and they exist. But as much as we can recognize and see scams today, we also have to realize that technology and the scams are also getting more complicated. So they most likely will always be around with people trying to fight them and take their sites, their profiles down but not being able to keep up with the sheer number of fake social media accounts. But outside of the initiation and recognition of the scam, we may still be asking ourselves, why did Renee send him money not only a second time, but a third time for the plane tickets? I personally think it goes back to the sense of loss. You know, again, this is just kind of my opinion or conjecture, but I think that Chris had become such a part of her life that she didn't want to lose him, and she was grasping on to just any remote chance that it was not a scam, that he was actually a person that she could meet and see in person. So when she truly, truly recognized that... He was not real. They had lost so much money and she was looking forward to starting a new life in a new place, knowing that she also had to rebuild the trust and love of those that she felt that she betrayed. So some may look at Renee and put a lot of the blame on her. And there does have to be a certain amount of responsibility, especially once you've been tricked for such a huge amount to continue to do so. But until we've actually been in her shoes and felt what she was feeling at the time, I don't think it's fair to judge her in such a negative or hard way. Ultimately, there are people who are scamming not just her, but the whole system, and they're the ones who should be held accountable. Now, if you do think that you know someone who's been a victim of a scam, um, you know, it's, it's important, at least in my opinion, that you let them know. But just remember to let them know gently. To them, this person is already real. 
And it's a huge loss to find out someone that you've invested time and even sometimes money with is not there, that they're gone. That is this huge sense of loss. But you also don't want to see that person being taken advantage of. So I will post those links um, with information about scamming. Um, and also, you know, there are usually in most states, at least in the United States, different um, divisions that help safeguard those who are what they call vulnerable adults, but those who are victims of financial scams. So you may also want to go to your state's website to see if there's anything you know, listed that can help as far as addressing finding these scams and then, you know, about trying to recoup any funds, but that's extremely difficult as well um, because those funds are sent overseas, usually in a wire or another type of immediate access and guaranteed funds. This time last week, I actually was not even intending to do this particular story. I heard about this or heard of this story maybe six or seven days ago. So, you know, this time last week, I probably didn't even know that this particular instance um, had taken place. I was working on another story and was having some difficulty finding information on that. And I'm amazed that for that other story, that it was big news for about three days and then it just seemed to fly under the radar and I can't even find a resolution for it. But I thought the topic of scams was really relevant. So I kind of switched gears and wanted to look into Renee's story, which is when I did find that article, the one I said that when I saw the headlines, I, I had to wonder if this was the same person and unfortunately, it was. So in this story, we see just how devastating the effects of a scam can be and how quickly you know, tides can change or turn. So this is where I'm going to end today's episode. Um, I just encourage everyone to you know, make sure that your loved ones, um, if they may not be as aware of these scams, that you let them know. I know my father, we've you know, let him know not to you know, discuss any personal information over the phone if they don't know who it is or if he doesn't know who it is to try to protect him. Um, and that's who scammers target or people who they think may be more forthright with providing information. Um, I do want to thank everyone for listening today. Um, if you do have an app where you can like or follow or add a comment to um, the episode or to the podcast in general, that would be greatly appreciated. That helps move the podcast up in the algorithms. Um, also, I do have a PayPal link if anybody would like to donate even just a little bit to help towards resources such as going to paid sites or having to buy different articles or documents. Um, you know, sometimes I am coming across that. I'm trying to stay as much as possible with um, cases that I can find, um, you know, with articles that 
are not behind paywalls, but unfortunately, you know, even with this case, um, I couldn't get to one of the articles, but just by chance, I actually found the same article in Italian and used Google Translate, so I was able to get to it um, without a paywall. I'm also going to be trying my best to get these episodes out once every two weeks, give or take a day, even if it's a mini-sode of an event that you know, there's not a lot of information on, but I still think is very important and relevant, I will go ahead and upload that. So you may see some, what I title as mini-sodes, and that's what that means, is basically there's not as much information out there, so it'll be a shorter episode. So again, thank you everybody for tuning in. I hope everybody has a great day or great week, and I will talk to you again soon. Bye.